Get this and get it straight. Crime is a sucker's road. And those who travel it wind up in the gutter of the prison of the grave. This time a twisted mind, a hole cut in a wire fence, and a corpse in a storeroom. All added up to freedom. But only for the one who had it coming. From the pen of Raymond Chandler, outstanding author of crime fiction, comes his most famous character in... The Adventures of Philip Marlowe. Now, with Gerald Moore, starred as Philip Marlowe, we bring you tonight's exciting story, The Bid for Freedom. your bank statement, then hug your office phone from nine to five, anxious for business, nothing happens. But the minute you decide you'll get rich another day, chuck the puny balance sheet into a bottom drawer and make plans, you want it. And that was exactly the way it played when at three o'clock on the kind of slate gray afternoon that makes the beckoning Santa Fe Railroad vacation billboards look a little more so, I left a note on my office door and headed outside and across the street for some real Hungarian goulash. Very good today, a second after a waiter disappeared into the kitchen with my order, she was standing at my elbow. Not quite young, not quite pretty, not quite blonde. And when she spoke, not quite sure of what she was going to say next. You, you're Mr. Philip Marlowe, aren't you? I mean, the private detective whose office is across the street? Yeah, that's right. I, my name is Helen Asher. Oh? No? I have to find someone. You... You do that kind of work, don't you? Finding people, I mean. That all depends, Miss Asher. Who's the person you have to find? Leon Rodell, a friend. Uh-huh. You see, I just got into town. I had his address in my handbag, but I lost it. The handbag, that is. And I don't exactly know which way to well, turn. Well, just a minute, Miss Asher. Let's take it a step at a time, huh? Here, now sit down. Oh, no. No, thank you. I, I, I'm in a hurry, Mr. Marlowe. Leon Rodell isn't listed in the phone book. I've tried that, and I don't know the name of his firm, his business name. He he deals in ceramics. Is that all you can tell me? Oh, no. I have something else. It's a name and an address here in Los Angeles. Fortunately, that wasn't in my handbag, but here in my coat. So... No. No what, Miss Asher? Outside there, on the street. What's on the street? Uh, nothing. Nothing at all. I... Hey, Miss Asher, wait a minute. There'd been a sort of sad look about Helen Asher that made me want to help her. So after an even sadder look at the plate of goulash that was coming toward me from the kitchen, I followed her to the street. Mr. Marlowe, the goulash! When I reached the sidewalk, she was across the street in a cab and away. That might have been the end of it if something small and ugly that had been standing just outside the restaurant hadn't turned and moved into the alley alongside the building. On a hunch that he'd had something to do with the sudden exit of Miss Asher, I followed him and found him standing next to a line of empty ash cans, calmly lighting a cigarette. You always run into alleys to light your cigarettes? You always concerned? What do you know about Helen Asher? Helen Asher? 
I haven't any idea who you're talking about. Come on, little man. I'm talking about the gal who just got into that cab. Do the words begin to flow? Or do I ring him out of here? Get your hands off me. You're ripping my pocket. You're lucky it isn't your nose. Come on, talk. All right, all right. It's no secret. Here, it's all in this letter. Look, right here. Oh! Tove his sharp pointed shoes and caught my shin where it really hurt. By the time I was out of the ash cans, back on my feet, I knew the damage had been more to my dignity than anything else. I knew also that the little man was gone and I had no idea where. I was halfway out toward the street before I realized that I still had the little man's letter clenched in my hand. It was from an Omaha life insurance company and addressed to one Eldon Hook, 31 Marlboro Drive, Sunnydale, California. Sunnydale wasn't just around the corner, but the fear I'd seen in Helen Asher's face plus a score to settle with Eldon Hook said the 20-mile drive into the San Fernando Valley was a minor point. Under the gray sky overhead that thickened by the minute, Sunnydale, about the size of the hole in a candied lifesaver, looked as warm and cheerful as crepe paper. And number 31 Marlboro Drive, also gray, was no improvement from the ponderous, bleak stone buildings which said Queen Victoria should have slept there. Past the high, thick wire fence that surrounded it to the wrought iron gate in front of me labeled Hillcrest Sanitarium. Keep out. Took ten minutes of softly phrased questions and answers to get the boss man at Dr. Chinetti to the gate. I told him who I was and what brought me to him, including the description of Eldon Hook. I... I don't understand... Come in, Mr. Marlowe, please. Eldon Hook has been with us as an attendant for more than a year now. and His behavior has always been satisfactory. Uh, nothing would surprise me anymore today. Uh, by the way, sir, what did you say that woman's name was? The one who approached you in the restaurant? Oh, Helen Asher. Is it possible that she was once a patient here, Doctor? No. Oh. What about Leon Rodell? Leon Rodell? Hmm. How do you know that name? From Helen Asher. She was looking for him. That's why she wanted to hire me. She knew he was here in Los Angeles. Mr. Marlowe, this woman, was she young? About 30, blonde? Yeah, that's right. Why? Why? Because this morning, earlier, about 6 o'clock, one of our patients escaped. A woman you know as Helen Asher. And we know as Charlotte Rodell, Leon Rodell's wife. Oh. She's insane, huh? Temporarily, yes. Come over here, near the fence. Ah. I'll show you how she got away. But how she managed to cut through enough of this thick wire link fence to make a hole large enough to crawl through is beyond me. Here, look, behind this ivy. Uh-huh. Even with a good wire snipper, it would take hours to get through all these strands, huh? Wasn't she missed inside? Yes, but she was only gone minutes. Apparently, she had been doing a little at a time during her recreation period, at night, whenever she could. Be careful of the burrs and those bushes there, Mr. Marlowe. Yeah, I see what you mean. Tell me, Doctor, have the police been notified? Of course, at once. The law compels us to. And frankly, Mr. Marlowe, I'm terribly worried. Oh? You see, it was her husband, Leon Rodell, who had her confined here a year ago. Six months after their marriage, she began to act strangely. He felt it would be only with our help that she could ever regain her mental equilibrium. I thought that we were accomplishing that. Apparently no, huh? Obviously no. (laughs) 
But, Mr. Marlowe, we must call the Los Angeles police right away and tell them that Leon Rodell now lives here, not in San Francisco. He must be protected. I see your point. Yeah, she did break out. She is trying hard to find Leo, and three she ran from Eldon Hook, who was very close on a trail. That's right, Mr. Marlowe. That's why I suggest that Leon Rodell discontinue seeing his wife as of last month. He always left Charlotte very upset. But now I'd better call the police. Yeah, that's a good idea. Although Charlotte didn't know where her husband was staying or what the name of the ceramics business was, she... Say, Doc. Doc, she claimed that she lost a handbag. Have you found it by any chance? Yes, we did. We found it in the brush near a hole in the fence. I've got it right here in my desk. Oh, good. There was an address on a card in it. 3840-something. Uh, yes, here it is. 3840 Lookout Terrace. Lookout Terrace. Lookout Terrace. That's right here in the valley, up in the hill, south of Ventura Boulevard. Mr. Marlowe, if possible, I'd like to avoid having the papers get hold of this, uh, this story. This is a rather exclusive nursing home. So? Uh, well, in a sense, you're already in this case. Uh, could you try to find Charlotte Rodell and... Bring her back here before the police do. Well, Dr. Chinetti, I... It would I... be doing a great service for the woman and her husband. I'll pay you your fee. All right, Dr. Chinetti, I'll try. I'll call you as soon as I have something. When I first started Marlboro Drive in Sunnydale, it had been a combination of interest in a sad-eyed girl and a strong desire to punch Eldon Hook on the nose. Now it was business. It took 20 minutes of fast driving to get over to Lookout Terrace in the hills that separate Hollywood from the San Fernando Valley and 3840 itself. The house was a squat chunk of overly stuccoed, archaic California architecture at the top of a steep driveway. And when I was out of my car and walking toward the front door, everything was black, except tiny pinpoints of light sparkling up from the floor of the valley I just left. Good evening, sir. I hope I didn't startle you, Mr. Rodell. Mr. Rodell. Oh, I know your name. Yes, sir. And I know some other things as well. Like what? Oh, incidental facts. Like, uh, well, it's cold in there. So you haven't been home in hours. And? And the refrigerator's empty, so you're only staying here off and on. Also, the old mail inside, phone bills, etc. They don't have your name or this address. So this is probably a friend's house. Which totals to what? Zero, maybe. Zero, Mr. Rodell, like you're going to total if you don't pay the money you owe to my good friend in San Francisco. Yeah, you know who I mean, don't you, Mr. Rodell? Yeah, yeah. What I don't know is how good friend thinks I'm going to raise that kind of dough. <laughs> I made it funny? Oh, you're kidding. Uh, What's 15000 to you? You, uh, shall I say, an intimate friend of Ordine Blackburn's? Oh, uh, Ordeen Blackburn. Yeah, Ordeen Blackburn. Come off it, boy. I'm thorough. An eager sort. I know that the lady from Bel Air is loaded and that she's nuts about you. No fooling. Now, before I leave, a word of advice, Rodell. One can't run away from his obligations forever. And you won't be able to walk away after 24 hours. Unless, of course, you pay. <laughs> Good night. Good night, Eager. Till we meet again. Somewhere. 
Oh, operator, I'd like the telephone number of a Miss Ordine Blackburn in Bel Air. I don't have the address. Have you tried your directory, sir? Yeah, no, I can't. The house burned down. One moment, please. Yeah. <laughs> we have an Ordine Blackbird at 2321 Bel Air Road. Yeah, that's it. What's the number, please? Nevins, 31121. 31121. Thank you. House burned down. <laughs> Hello, Miss Blackburn. Yes, this is she. Miss Blackburn, my name is Philip Marlowe. I'm a private detective who at the moment is anxious to get hold of Leon Rodell. You know where he is? Well, yes, I do, but I don't think... Now, please, it's important. Leon Rodell's life is in danger. I want to help him. Leon's life? What's going on, Mr. Marlowe? Well, there isn't time to explain, believe me. That's what she said, but Who I... Who said? Someone who called about 20 minutes ago. A Miss Helen Asher. Oh? She said she was supposed to meet Leon at his storeroom about purchasing some ceramics. But she forgot his address there. Did you give it to her? Well, yes, I did. Oh, great. She's the one who's after him. What's that address? Come on, quick. 3909 and a half Ventura Boulevard. Ventura. It's in the rear of a parking lot. But tell me, Mr. Marlowe, what's well, wrong? Well, there's plenty wrong. For one thing, I... Talk to you again, baby. Some other time. I doubt it, Mr. Rodell. Jumped to a hasty conclusion, didn't I? Yeah, yeah, you did, Eager. You see, I'm really only a bill collector, just like yourself. So why don't we... Get uh... make up... <laughs> Not a chance, sweetheart. I wouldn't be happy that way. I wouldn't know when you were telling the truth. And when you were lying. You know what I mean? Tomorrow. <laughs> now, as I said before, good night. Turn to the second act of Philip Marlowe and tonight's story, The Bid for Freedom. Gun blood I'd been slapped with felt like a log chain. Next time would be different. I waited till Eager drove away and then went out and got in my car and unwound my way down the hill again to Ventura Boulevard. There I turned west and drove out to 3909 and a half. There was a glass and neon super grocery store closed for the night. And the only light showing at Leon Rodell's ceramic outfit trickled out onto the ground in a narrow wedge to what had to be a partly open back door. Then even as I watched it, the wedge danced into a crazy pattern and disappeared. I ran for it and got there just in time to see Charlotte Rodell dart down the alley. A second later, she vanished in the shadowy jumble of backyard buildings. I knew there was no use trying to follow her. Instead, I eased the storeroom door open and looked in at a room full of flower pots, lamp bases, and dishes. Nothing moved. Charlotte, I was sure, it had a reason for running, so I went in toward a table in the corner where the only light was burning. I was almost up to it before I saw the reason. Yeah, it was a good one. Eldon Hook, the sanitarium attendant, was on the floor behind the table, his body still trying to arch away from the knife in his back. I bent over him. He opened his eyes. They were already cloudy. I, I was close. I found the hole in the fence, and I knew Ordine was... Ordine what, Hook? Who did it? Can you tell me? I never figured on... 
I left Eldon Hook just as he was. Went to the door that opened to the front of the ceramic shop. A desk was there with a phone on it. I got halfway through the homicide bureau number when a silhouette showed up at the curtains at the front door. I put the phone down, stepped back into the shadows, and waited. Not necessarily, Mr. Rodell. Who are you? Name's Marlowe. I'm a private detective. You are Leon Rodell, aren't you? Yes. What are you doing here in my shop? You better finish taking your overcoat off, Mr. Rodell. Now, see. Your here. wife has run away from Hillcrest Sanitarium. My. Charlotte is out? That's right. How do you know this? She came to me tonight under a phony name. Tried to get me to locate you. She'd lost her address. Oh. This is a shock. Marlowe, a terrible shocker. Poor Charlotte, what an awful thing this is for her. Yeah. Excuse me, I, I need to... Sure. Oh, you? No, thanks. Yeah. You see, Marlowe, I've only been here in Los Angeles a month. The last time I visited Charlotte... That was about three weeks ago, and I hadn't planned to stay out... Wait a minute. My wife is the only one who had my local address. If she lost that, how did you find me? That's a long story. I got the address Charlotte lost, and I've already been up to your house, but the last step was a call to a Miss Ordeen Blackburn. Ordeen? Yeah, she sent me up here. Oh, then you know about Ordeen and me. A little. Well, I suppose under the circumstances, that's hard for you to understand, Marlowe, and even harder to accept. Not exactly, under the circumstances. Oh, well, the law is not as generous as you are. Has no room for understanding. Insanity isn't grounds for divorce until after three long years have passed. And maybe Miss Blackburn doesn't want to wait that long, huh? Well, to be frank, I don't know. I'm in love with her. I think she loves me. I haven't had the courage to tell her about Charlotte yet. Maybe you won't have to. Hmm? Charlotte called her up tonight before I did as a Miss Asher. She must have gotten Ordeen's name and phone number from you some way on that last visit of yours. No, no, that's impossible. Well, she got it some way. Marlowe. Do you know where Charlotte is? We've got to find her. She's not responsible. She might even be dangerous. It's an understatement, Rodell. She's deadly. Deadly? Mm. I, I don't understand. Come here. Over behind that table there where the light is. What? Go ahead and look. Oh, what's over there? When I showed up here tonight, I saw Charlotte running away. I came in and found that. Oh, my God. The attendant of the sanitarium. Yeah. He knew she'd escaped. He found the hole in the fence where she got out, and he's been following her on his own, strangely enough. He's dead. Marlowe, he's dead. Hook, he's, he's dead. Rodell! Sorry. Marlowe, she must be completely mad. We've got to stop her. Why, she might go for Ordeen next door. Or you, what, yeah. What can we do? Well, you can go home. She doesn't know that address up there, so you'll be okay on that score. All right, but... Uh... Rodell, listen. Keep your doors locked up there, will you? Oh, you should. You said Charlotte... I know, I know. I'm not thinking about Charlotte now. There's something else. The guy in San Francisco that you owe all that money to. What about him? Sent a mug down here who intends to collect it. I've tangled with him already. He means business. So be careful, Rodell, and I'll see you as soon as I can. I watched him go out the door limply, his head down. He looked about as tough as a bowl of whipped cream. And I went back to the desk again and saw that he'd left his overcoat where he dropped it on the chair. I called the police, gave him the word on Charlotte, and when that was over, I had to switch on the desk light to check the sanitarium number before I could call Dr. Chinetti. 
That's when I saw the letter lying on the desk, an important letter. But for one reason only. It was addressed to Leon Rodell at his house on Lookout Terrace. It was an open invitation to anybody who'd come to the shop looking for that particular piece of information. And there was no doubt in my mind that Charlotte had seen it, which made it long past time for me to get up there and on the double. I turned, headed for the door, and stopped all in one motion. The pair of headlights slashed at the windows and then blinked out. I stepped back out of the circle of light from the desk lamp and waited. A second later, the hulk of Mr. Eager filled the open back door. He was still very sure of himself. He took in the storeroom with one long glance and then sidled through the clutter as deftly as a rumba dancer toward the door where the desk and I were waiting. The instant he got within reach, I swung! You again, you dirty lousy... Major no. pitch once, big man. Why don't you sit on it? Why, you... Big... That squares the top of that clip on the chops you gave me. Oh, oh no. No, not quite, mister. <clears throat> Even Stephen now, big man. When he went down that time, he took the chair, Rodell's overcoat, and half the stuff on the desk with him. He was still moving, trying to free himself of the tangle, so I reached for him again, but got only a fistful of the overcoat Rodell had left behind. And suddenly, my hand stung like I'd grabbed the wrong end of a bumblebee. I jerked it back and looked at the palm. Something was stuck to my skin, something I couldn't understand. Until finally realization oozed through the molasses in my brain. I left and ran all the way to my car and almost sprung the frame, twisting up Lookout Terrace. I parked down the hill from 3840 and ran as far as the house next door where I got to the back, hopped the fence and got my gun in hand. As I expected, Leon Rodell was there, and so was Charlotte in the coupe. The door open was poised at the top of the precipitous driveway like a lead car on a roller coaster. Why are you angry with I'm me, I'm not Leon? angry, Charlotte. Now get in the car. We haven't much time. I did everything just like you said, Leon. I know. I lost my hand. The I was car. Your address and I had, the car, Charlotte. I had yes. to find you, didn't I? You did I fine. I did everything. And then I learned about your shop, and I went there. Well, you shouldn't have done that, Leon. Now get in the car. Leon. I saw what you'd done to that Mr. Hook the from the planetarium. The rushed. You killed him with a knife. I had to, Charlotte. He'd been spying on us all oh. the time. He knew all our plans, and he wanted lots of money to keep quiet. Oh, it frightens me, Leon. I wish you had Stop it, Charlotte. It doesn't matter oh, anymore. It doesn't don't matter. Don't kid yourself, Rodell. Mr. Marlowe. Oh, I, I found Leon by myself, so I, I really don't need you after all. I only wish you were right, baby. Don't move, Rodell. Oh, but you don't understand, Mr. Marlowe. Leon and I are going away together on I a trip. I understand, all right, more than you do now, Charlotte, and I think you better go in the house and wait for oh, us. No, huh? no, don't please, you see Please, please, we... do as I ask. Some trip you had in mind, Rodell. Your wife in this coop and straight down over the bank, strictly solo. She didn't even suspect. Uh, keep your hands off me. Sure, sure. I'd never get them clean again. But it'll give me great satisfaction to drop you with a bullet. And I'll do just that if you take one step before the police get here. So stand still, Rodell. Real still. <laughs> Mr. 
sorry you were worried, and I'm awfully glad I'm back. So am I, my dear. And we'll talk more about it in the morning. What you need right now is a good night's rest in your own bed. Oh, you're right, Doctor. I'm very tired. Good night, Mr. Marlowe. And thank you. Good night, Shirley. She still doesn't realize, does she? No, and it's a good thing. Plenty of time for that later when it can come gradually. At this point, she could tear herself to pieces over a thing like this. Yeah. Her husband urges her to run away and helps her do it for the sole purpose of getting her out where he can kill her. Not much security in that setup, huh? No. You mentioned another woman, Mr. Marlowe. Uh, Miss Ordine Blackburn. Oh, Ordine, yeah. Gullible rich girl without much on the ball. Rodell planned to marry her and solve all his money problems. Oh. <laughs> Believe me, Doc, he had them, big ones. I see. Well, she's better off this way. Yeah. Six months of marriage to Rodell, and she'd have been a candidate for your sanitarium herself. He's that kind of a guy. And my late employee, Eldon Hook? Well, he knew that Rodell had been urging his wife to run away and that he'd cut that hole in the fence. Hook mm-hmm. found out that Rodell was interested in Ordine, and he tried to shake Rodell down. He signed his own death warrant on the spot. You know, it's sometimes frightening to me, Mr. Marlowe, to realize how many warped and twisted minds there are that never get help until it's far too late. Mm. But there's always some good in every bad thing, they say. What about this case? Charlotte. I expect her to recover completely soon. Because now the main contributor to her neurosis, so to speak, is gone forever. That was Leon Rodell. Yeah, well, Doc, it's a long way back to Hollywood. I better get going, huh? Just one thing more, if you don't mind. Hmm? Charlotte would have died in a smashed car in what would have passed for an accident. Also, she'd have been blamed for Hook's murder if you hadn't found out the truth about Rodell. I'm very curious. You remember the burrs that grew along your fence outside? The burrs? A blasted nuisance. Yeah, but as you just said, Doc, there's always some good in every bad thing. Rodell told me that he hadn't been up here for three weeks. And yet tonight his overcoat was loaded with burrs. I got one in my hand from it. Oh. That gave me a hunch. <laughs> well, from there on it played. Disappointed? To the contrary. Satisfied completely. Good night, Mr. Marlowe. Good night, Doc. As I left Hillcrest Sanitarium and drove back across the wide, flat San Fernando Valley, dark and quiet in the hour just before dawn, I found myself being grateful for a lot of little, orderly things. Things like the clear white line down the middle of the road, the rhythm of the motor in my car, and the prospect of going home to my own secure apartment. Then I wondered about Charlotte and the sort of nightmare jungle the world must be to a mind twisted suddenly, out of focus, where there is no symmetry or logic. But nightmares can be banished, huh? Fears driven away. And in time, with Dr. Chinetti's help, she'd come out of it all right. But the others, others like Hook and Rodell, to them, the jungle is home. No nightmare, that. They live in it by choice. Until, one way or another, they're destroyed. Choked to death by the very tangle they hide in. Well, that's fair enough. Thank you.
adventures of Philip Marlowe, bringing you Raymond Chandler's most famous character, star Gerald Moore, are produced and directed by Norman MacDonald and are written for radio by Robert Mitchell and Gene Levitt. Featured in the cast were Gene Bates, Larry Dobkin, Yvonne Patey, Harold Dierenforth, Jack Edwards, and John T. Smith. The special music is composed and conducted by Richard Arant. Be sure and be with us again next week when Philip Marlowe says... This time a fireball, too handy with a target pistol, led me down a rocky road past a sleazy money grubber to a curly-headed corpse. And it might have gotten worse if I hadn't slowed down at the hairpin turn. Get this and get it straight. Crime is a sucker's road, and those who travel it wind up in the gutter of the prison of the grave. This time a fireball, too handy with a target pistol, led me down a rocky road past a sleazy money grubber to a curly-headed corpse. And it might have gotten worse if I hadn't slowed down at the hairpin turn. It happened like this. From the pen of Raymond Chandler, outstanding author of crime fiction, comes his most famous character in The Adventures of Philip Marlowe. Now, with Gerald Moore starred as Philip Marlowe, we bring you tonight's exciting story, The Hairpin Turn. Hey, stop it. Put down that gun and listen to me. Stay back, Uncle Enoch. How do you like that? Well, if you could think just half as straight as you could shoot, I'd have nothing to worry about, but you can't. And it's high time you realize that Oh, there's the house buzzer. Somebody's up at the house, Uncle Enoch. And this is Miles Knight. Oh. Well, all right, I'll answer it. I'm expecting a man from the office. But as soon as I finish with him, you and I are going to have a talk, young lady. Do you understand? I said... Oh, what's the use? Yes? Uh, I'm Philip Marlowe to see Mr. Vanneman, Enoch Vanneman. I, I have an appointment. Oh, come in, Marlowe. I'm Enoch Vanneman. Oh. I'm glad you're here. Step this way, will you? We'll talk in the study. Okay, Mr. Vanneman. I, uh, why, I thought... Uh, those, uh, those were pistol shots? Yeah, that's, uh, Kay, my niece. Sounds like a squad of Marines. Yeah, she's a champion pistol shot. She's converted one of the garages into a target range. Well, I seem to recall a city ordinance that yeah, says... I know be... all about that ordinance, Mr. Marlowe. Save your breath. Oh, just like that, huh? Precisely. Mm. Sit down, please. Thanks. Breaking a city ordinance is a perfect example of all the crackpot things that headstrong young fool insists on getting mixed up in. And you want me to get mixed up with the crackpot, huh? Yeah, she has no more sense in her choice of male companions than she does in her hobbies. And she's a very rich girl. Now, look, if this is a bodyguarding assignment, Mr. Vanneman, I now, want to tell Kay you... Now, has been going with a man named Cliff Lace, an unsavory type at least. Professional horse player, I think, and it was quite an affair. Was quite an affair? That's right. She threw Lace over for a new love recently. A fellow I've never met. Mm. She's serious, but refuses to tell me anything about him. So? So Cliff Lace doesn't like the idea because, from his standpoint, a very good thing has slipped through his fingers. Oh. He's going to do something about it, huh? And I don't know. But since about the time they broke up, a man's been snooping around the grounds here, Marlowe. Really? He's about 40, uh, short, greasy-looking. He has a flabby kind of face with fat lips and there was a large black mole on the right side of his nose. Hey, I may know that character, Mr. Vanneman. 
I'll have to check to be sure. Morrow, I want to know who he is and why he's been hanging around here. Also, I want to find out all there is to know about Kay's new man. Mm. Tell me, uh, how old is Kay, Mr. Vanneman? She's 26. That's her picture there. Oh, oh yeah. Blonde fireball. <laughs> Look, uh, Mr. Vanneman, if she's 26, maybe her love life is none of your business. It is my business. I'm her guardian, and I'm very fond of her. But she's reckless, stubborn, and erratic. Yeah, well, money's great, but it'll never replace the old-fashioned parent. Well, it's also a big responsibility, you know. No, not firsthand, I don't. It leaves one open to every crooked scheme in the book. Here, look, Marlowe. I've written my personal phone number on this card. You can reach me there privately at any time. All right, Mr. Vanneman, I'll see what I can find out. I got in my car and I crossed the two acres of tailored flora the Vanneman's called Front Yard. I could see in back the squat, windowless brick building topped by a skylight that housed the target range. Then a minute later, I drove out through the big Bel Air gate into Sunset Boulevard just as Kay Vanneman streaked past me in a sleek new Nash. I was sure I knew already who the snoopy little man who'd been hanging around was. The description of flabby face, fat lips, and mole fit tight on a guy named Mutt Pomeroy, who'd somehow been issued a private detective's license and somehow managed to keep it. He was just about as ethical as a stab in the back. I remembered he had an office in a fire trap on Bronson, so I made that my first stop. Climbed a flight of dark, smelly stairs to a tire door marked Pomeroy, Private Investigations. Well, there was no answer, so I tried the door. Somebody beside Mutt had been there ahead of me. Turned the place inside out. It was a shambles. I spent five minutes going over his files, scattered like leaves in November... And was still at it when the door behind me swung shut. Lose something, chum? Hello, Mutt. What's the big idea tearing up my joint, Marlowe? Hey, hey, you know better than that. I wouldn't touch the stuff you keep on file without rubber gloves. <laughs> Real funny. If you didn't do this, then who did? I came in and found it just like this. One of your clients must have gotten a little careless. Now you're full of them tonight, aren't you? Yeah. What do you want here, Marlowe? I need a little help, Mutt. No kidding. Mm. <laughs> Okay, chum, sit down. Glad to help out a brother sleuth any time at all. Now, what's your problem? Why are you so interested in the Vanneman place? Oh, the Vanneman place? Yeah. <laughs> Quite a chunk of real estate they got there. I know. What's the fascination? A little simple investigation for a simple little lady. For purposes of conversation, what'll we call her? Mm. How does Estelle suit you? Estelle, Look, Marlowe, you got in free. Take the scraps and be happy. Okay. But as you put it, the Vannemans own quite a chunk of real estate. We might subdivide. You might like to tell me how this Estelle ties in. Yeah? Yeah, I might at that, chum. She's worried about a guy. And from what I've seen of that jet-propelled blonde named Kay Vanneman, she's got plenty of reason to worry. Guy's name wouldn't be Cliff Lace, would it? Cliff Lace? Mm-hmm. Oh. I don't remember, Marlowe. Okay, Mutt, how much is it going to take? Well, now, that's hard to say. I'll have to let you know. You see, I've got an angle on my end, too. My uh, little client swears up and down there's no other woman involved. But, you know, the Estelles are always the last to know. You're beginning to smell, Pomeroy. And just how do you fit, Marlowe? I'm helping a guy worry about a girl. Well, that's real nice. And when your clients worry, the wrinkles make dollar signs, so you're always right, is that it? Thanks for everything. I'll see you around, Mutt. Yeah, but don't go away mad, chum. Oh, of course not. 
That's why I'm leaving now. It took a friend at the phone company all of ten minutes to locate Cliff Lace's address for me, which turned out to be a snug bachelor's nest bungalow style at the foot of the Hollywood Hills numbered 4300 Cherimoya. I parked, started for the front door, and on the way, passed an open window where the silhouette of a man at a telephone was cut into neat slices by a Venetian blind. Oh, but you better want But his voice came through idea. in one piece, yeah. and you couldn't miss it. You see, Estelle, I know almost all about you. Oh, yeah, yeah. I got your name earlier tonight from a mutual friend, Mr. Mutt Pomeroy. Yeah. I think it's about time we got together for a little business conference, huh? Now, right there at the plaza in, say, two hours... You'll still be registered as Ruth Bridges. Good. Goodbye, Estelle. When he hung up, he moved over to a bottle of Johnny Walker scotch. I waited until he'd helped himself, and then I went to the door. Yeah. My name's Marlowe, Mr. Lace. I'd like to talk to you. What about? Whatever it was you were looking for when you ransacked Mutt Pomeroy's office tonight. Do I come in? Yeah. Yeah, of course. All right. But I'm afraid I don't know what you're talking about. Oh, come on. We both know that's a lie. Let's forget it and go on from there, huh? Just a minute. You a cop? No. But I'll call him at the drop of a hat. Make it easy on yourself. <laughs> What's Mutt Pomeroy to you? Bag of worms. But I want to know who he's working for. The fact that you had to break into his place to get information should let you out. So who is it? What makes you think I'd know? Because you found what you were looking for. What's Estelle's last name, Cliff? <laughs> you do get around, don't you, Bright Boy? Yeah, yeah, I do. Only sometimes not fast enough. Look, Buster, why not chance at the door? Somebody's got his finger caught in the buzzer. Yeah, that's right. Kay, I told you I didn't... I stopped by to deliver something, Cliff, an ultimatum. I'm telling you for the last hold time... Hold it, hold it. We're not alone. I don't care what I have to say to you. I'll shout from the rooftops. We're through, washed up. Now get out of my life and stay out. Okay, please. Good evening, Miss Vanneman. I don't know you, Slim, but keep out of this. Look, look, Donnie, don't... Now you listen. I'm in love with Boyce Neely. Really in love this time. I intend to marry him, and I won't have you... Marry Boyce Neely? <laughs> don't be ridiculous. Cliff, I'm warning you. Look, you'll get this. You'll never marry Boyce Neely. That's one thing I'm sure of. I know a lot more about him than you do, darling. Believe me, when the time is just right, you're going to hear from me again, but loud. Why, you filthy. If you try to do anything to hurt Boyce and me, Cliff Lacer, help me, I'll kill you. I mean it. <laughs> Sometimes she's going to throw that temper at me just once too often. Who are you kidding, Lace? Ever see her use a target pistol? Ah, oh, she's too smart to trump her own ace. Don't count on it, mister. No, I'm not worried. Uh... Where were we, Marlowe? We were looking for some answers, which I just got. <laughs> Good night, Lace. Keep your head down. The way things were breaking, I was sure if I didn't get to the woman named Estelle before Lace did, I wasn't going to get anywhere. So I spent the next hour folded up in a phone booth running down the list of respectable and semi-so hotels with the word plaza either fore or aft. Finally, a flute-voiced night clerk in a mid-Victorian number called the Royce Plaza confessed that they had a Ruth Bridges, which was the name that I'd heard Lace mention. She was registered from Santa Monica, but at the moment out. I was convinced that she was really Estelle, Mutt Pomeroy's client. So I drove over to the hotel, invested five bucks with a night clerk, picked up a newspaper, and waited. Halfway down the sports page, a prim brunette came in who would have been pretty without the overload of nervous strain stamped on her face. 
As she crossed the deserted lobby, the clerk gave me a nod, so I called her name, caught up with her at the foot of the stairs. You... you called me? Yeah, if you could spare me a minute, Miss Bridges, I'd like to talk to you. What do you want? Well, my name's Marlowe. I'm a private detective. A, a, a private detective? Yeah, look, honey, let's move over into the corner. You know, that boy on the desk is going to sprain his neck if we don't. But what do you want with me? Well, suppose we start off with your real name, Estelle. What's the rest of it? Neely, maybe, huh? How did you know that? It's taken me all evening to get it. That's the only way it figures. It's right, isn't it? You're married to Boyce Neely? Yes. Mm -hmm. I'm Mrs. Boyce Neely, but what business is that of yours? Well, that's what I'm trying to find out. You hired Mutt Pomeroy to check on your husband because you're worried about him, right? Why? Boyce is in trouble. He, well, he's in a jam, that's all. Is it money? No. Boyce does very well. He's in real estate in Santa Monica. Oh, maybe with the law, huh? Yes. Yes, I'm afraid so. He, he's been acting so strange. He, he wouldn't talk to me or anything. I just had to find out what was wrong. I see. Well, look, what's your connection with Cliff Lace? Why, I, I don't know any Cliff Lace. Oh, come on, baby. Take it a little easy and try again. Cliff Lace, I know you called him tonight, and he called you. All right. He, he wanted to talk to me about, about Boyce and, and some girl named Kay Vanneman, but... He's crazy, I know he is. Boyce is not mixed up with another woman. He couldn't be. I hope I meet your husband soon, Mrs. Neely. I'd like to punch him in the nose. What do you mean? But Pomeroy was right. The Estelles are always the last to know. Look, do me a favor. Will you go up to your room, go to bed, and get some sleep? You're going to need it. All right. Thank you, Mr. Marlowe. Mm. Hey, uh, Buster, where's the phone? Oh, right over there, sir. Good book? Uh-huh. Huh? Oh, yeah, yeah, great. Chandler's new one, you know. Chandler. Chandler. <laughs> Where have I heard that name before? Hello? You know Vanneman? Marlowe, Mr. Vanneman. Kay there? No, she's not, Marlowe. Uh. And listen... I want you to forget whatever else you're doing and find her immediately. Well, what's the matter? She left here about 15 minutes ago in a fury. Where was she going? I don't know for sure. She left shortly after you did tonight. Then she came back about an hour I ago. I know, I know. I ran into her. What happened this time? She got a phone call from Cliff Lace. Something was said about him now being in the driver's seat, whatever that means. She was furious. That's not good, Vanneman. Believe me. Well, it's worse than you think. You've got to stop her. Because when she left here, Marlowe, I'm quite sure she had her target pistol with her. I hung up the phone, ran out to my car, and headed back to Cliff Lace's bungalow on Cheramoya. But Kay had a 15-minute head start, and at that hour, in her frame of mind, the drive in from Bel Air was a hop, skip, and a jump. The only hope was in Lace himself, being smart enough to know that he'd overplayed his hand. The street was deserted when I pulled in and parked down the hill from the place. When I got to the front door and found it unlocked, I eased it open and went in. The living room was dark, but there was a light on in the bedroom, and I started for it. Before I saw the bulk of a figure leaning against the dark side of the frame. Come on in, chum. Make yourself at home. What are you doing here, Mutt? Easy, Marlowe. There's no hurry. Not now, there's not. School's out, chum. Where's Lace? Inside. It was nice, clean, accurate, and exactly dead center. He never knew what hit him. <laughs> In just a moment, the second act of Philip Marlowe. But first, 
For a moment, let's look at the headlines on CBS's Entertainment tomorrow night. First, east is east and west is west. So Jack Benny, on his way to New York, hasn't yet heard that the subway fare is a dime. Second, Charlie McCarthy, already in New York, rewrites Henry Fonda's tough-talking Navy officer in Mr. Roberts. And third, Andy of Amos and Andy, released from Bale, Jail, and Abigail, gets into new hot water. Besides these, you'll also find headliners Eve Arden, Red Skelton, Horace Height, and all the other great Sunday night shows on most of these same CBS stations tomorrow night. Now with our star, Gerald Moore, we return to the second act of Philip Marlowe and tonight's story, The Hairpin Turn. small, neat hole front and center in his forehead said that Cliff Lace had been shot to death. And everything from jealous motive to target pistol method pointed directly to Cave Vanneman. But that was still a long way from proof, and there was Mutt Pomeroy on hand. The kind who always figured only one way. To the right of the dollar sign. Now, let's not jump to any dumb conclusions, Marlowe. Like what? Like the look on your kisser that wants to know what I'm doing here. That I can explain. I got Cliff Lace's name from you, and a sawbuck to the right guy gave me a rundown on him, a sort of a character analysis, you might say. So? So I figured he was the guy who frisked my office to find out who I was working for. He must have tagged me out of the Vanneman place, followed me down to my joint, then turned everything inside out until he ran across something that added for him. Something like the name is Tell Neely, maybe? <laughs> you move fast, don't you, Marlowe? Yeah, when there isn't too much crowding. I've got most of it already, Pomeroy, so Spill? Spill? I don't know what you mean, Marlowe. I mean that Estelle Neely hired you to find out why her husband was worried. You come up with an answer, all right. It was called other woman. So? Estelle didn't even suspect anything about another woman. And you didn't tell her what you found out because it was Kay Vanneman, a gal with a million bucks, right or wrong. Suppose you're right, Marlowe. What are you getting at? A possibility that you could have done this. C kill Lace? Why? Because Lace was playing the same game that you are, chum, blackmail. Your motive was money and so was his. Plus the fact that he didn't like Kay giving him his walking papers. So when he wouldn't come to terms with me, I killed him, is that it? Yeah, it could be. Can you prove otherwise? <laughs> no, I can't. But other things can, Marlowe. Things, yeah. Like that lipstick-smeared cigarette in the ashtray behind you. It's, it's not my brand. And I don't drop hairpins on the carpet when I kill. Do I go on? Or were you just trying it for size because you hate to think that a gorgeous item like young money bags could be it? <laughs> Right or wrong, Marlowe? You know, leveling with you, Pomeroy, takes the kind of talent that can cash a $7 bill at a bank. Who are you calling, Marlowe? The cops. It's the custom. Wait, wait. Look, don't be a sap. What'll that get you? A killer, maybe. Yeah, and from there on, a pat on the head, a well done from the law gets my chum. Shielding a murderer is a lot healthier for the bank account than nailing one every time. Get your hand off the phone, Pomeroy. Now, Marlowe, listen Get it off! Okay, go on, louse it up, boy scout. Who knows, maybe some bright day you might even run for Alderman, Marlowe. Without your votes, I'm sure. Homicide, Sergeant Becker. Phil Marlowe, Sarge, is a DOA waiting for you. 4,300 Cherimoya. Name's Cliff Lace. Occupation questionable. He was shot. Any idea who did it, Marlowe? Yeah. Poor little rich girl named Kay Vanneman or her sweetheart, one Mr. Boyce Neely. Who lives in Santa Monica? Yeah. Where's the fit? I don't know. How long ago was this lace killed, Marlowe? 30, 40 minutes? Why? Neely's clear. We picked him up at his own home better than two hours ago. He's in a pokey now. What'd you get him on? Hit and run, a month ago. 
It's alleged that he knocks an old lady out of a crosswalk and into a hospital without even stopping to watch her bounce. Some anonymous tipster phoned the dope in around 6 tonight. Said the repaint job on Neely's car would prove it. It did. So that just leaves this venom in babe, huh? Yeah, I guess so. But you know, Becker, hey, Bono, there's... come here, quick, out in the backyard there. It's Cave Hanneman. I'll call you later, Becker. We got company. Get the lights, Pomeroy, and stay down. Don't worry, Marlo. The driveway alongside the house is the only way out. All right, watch it from the front. I'll go through the kitchen and out the back door. I'll play it close. Check. But remember, Pomeroy, nobody gets trigger happy. Don't worry, chum. Okay. Come on, baby, you're cornered back there. Talk up. Who's that? Philip Marlowe, the guy you saw here with Cliff Lace earlier tonight. I'm also a private detective who's working for your uncle and trying to keep you out of trouble. Now, let's have the target pistol, baby. Come on, throw it in. I can't. I don't have one. Uncle Enoch says different. He told me you left the house with it. I told you I don't have one. All right, come on out. But slowly, hands high, no jokes. I always lose my sense of humor right after murder. After... Yeah, yeah. Lace was shot to death. Never mind the carefully arched eyebrows. You're in too deep, honey. You don't think I had anything to do with Cliff Lace getting killed, do you? Oh, no, no. It's all one great big coincidence, huh? Why don't you leave, Miss Vanneman? I... I said, why don't you leave? Well, I... How about it, Mr. Marlowe? Go ahead. I won't try to stop you. If you're guilty, you won't get very far. Well, all right. All right, Pomeroy, what's on your mind? A partnership, chum. Based on what, chum? Based on the fact that I saw you kill Cliff Lace. Fat! You what? Yeah. I saw you standing over the body with a smoking gun. Come on, come on. You don't think you can really make that stick, do you? No, but it would keep you busy explaining for a while, long enough for me to wind up my business. Oh. Mm-hmm. Well, Marlowe, what'll it be? You and me as partners doing business with old Enoch Vanneman on behalf of the niece I'm sure he'll want to protect, or me in business for myself. Well, which? It'll be partners, Pomeroy. <laughs> okay, chum. Let's get inside and clean up. Mm. The lady was kind of careless around the edges. Hey, hey, the split. Hmm? How far does it go? 50-50. Fair enough? Fair enough. <clears throat> After you, Phil. Now get that cigarette butt and the hairpin on the copper there. Then tell Sergeant Becker that you were jumping the gun about the Vanderman girl because you just found out that she was at home all night. I'll check the rest of it. Okay, Mutt. First the cigarette butt, then the hairpin. Hey. What is it, Marlowe? Watch with the hairpin. Why'd you say... Marlowe, quick, get the light. Someone's out front. Don't shoot. It may be the law. In skirts? Look, get in that car over there. It's a babe, and five will get you ten that she answers the name of Kay. Oh, that jerk's going to be a Lulu to protect. Yeah. Well, we better go in Hey, the hairpin you dropped into your pocket, Marlowe. What's so special about it? Oh, nothing. It was just a hunch I had. Forget it. Marlowe, I want to see it. Okay. Here. Get a good look! (laughs) Partner... A 
fast 20-minute drive back out to Bel Air and the Bannerman place. All the way, I worried hard that the hunch I was playing was right and that I was going to be too late to do anything about it. When I was there, parked halfway up the pebble driveway out of my car and running toward the fluorescent light and the sound of a woman's voice that filtered through the heavy iron mesh over an air vent in the windowless target range, I slowed to a walk, switched the 45 from pocket to right hand, and then I moved up to where I could both see and hear. Kay Bannerman was huddled in a far corner, her eyes crowded with fear and riveted on the dainty but lethal 22 automatic that Cliff Lace's murderer pointed straight at her head. Estelle Neely had her back to me, but with the grill that was designed to stop bullets between us, there was nothing I could do. You've got to listen to me. Please listen before you do anything crazy. I swear, I, I, I never knew that Boyce was married. I, I'd never have gone with him if I'd known. You're a liar. No, it's the truth, I tell you. It started like the others, fun and no questions asked, but then... I fell in love, and it never occurred to me that he might have been married. Stop I... it! I don't want to hear anymore. I've already killed once for Boyce, the guy I turned into the police for something he did a month ago. You turned your own husband over... I the... did that so they'd put him away out of your reach. You'd never wait for him. You'd go your own merry, merry way a week after he was in jail. Boyce would be glad to come back to me after five years of living in a cage like an animal. And he'd never suspect that I was the one who informed. I hired a private detective, Mutt Pongo and made sure that he knew I never even suspected that Boyce could have anything to do with another woman. Then Boyce would never realize it was you who turned him in, because you had no motive. Mutt Pomeroy would be your witness to that. I killed Cliff Lace because he traced me from Pomeroy, and then found out that I was the one who told the police about Boyce. He would have blackmailed me forever. And I'm not sorry, nor will I be when I kill you. Now sit down, Miss Vanderman. And listen carefully. I couldn't shoot, and I knew that it would be disastrous to yell, but I had to do something in a hurry. I moved up quietly to the door. It was locked. That only left one chance, the skylight on the roof. The building was low, and a lawn chair nearby was all the help I needed. <clears throat> when I was up and over to the skylight, there was glass and no mesh underneath. I still hadn't made it, because from that angle I could see Kay, but only hear Estelle. Oh, now you know just what kind of a woman is going to kill you. But why me? I told you... I don't care what you told me! It was you, young and beautiful, that started all this. All this is almost over now because the other detective, that Marlowe, knows that I killed Lace. He found a hairpin there. I saw him from the window. I saw him pick up the hairpin, Miss Van. No, stay back! The black hairpin that couldn't possibly belong to a blonde like you. The hairpin that said Marlowe knows that I killed Lace. So I'm through, and I know it. But before they get me, I... <laughs> my, my hand, it... <laughs> Marlowe, is she dead? No, just out. Well, fireball, any appropriate wisecracks? Wisecrack? Uh, not for quite a while, Marlowe. I'm too scared. Well, it was the usual hour and a half of questions and answers with client, followed by the same questions and answers with police before I finally closed the door on Enoch Vanneman's marble halls and started down past the manicured shrubbery to where I'd left my car. Outside, the night was cold and clear. And as I walked, I looked up at the vastness overhead and wondered. Wondered why I had the kind of job that made me no more than houseboy with gun for a rich guy. 
with a badly spoiled niece. But I stopped wondering when I was at my car and no longer alone. I just wanted to say thanks before you left, Phil. I, I would do my best to stay out of trouble from here on out. You know why? No, why? Because I want to be good enough for the right guy who may come along someday. A guy like you, I mean. Oh? Thanks, Phil. <sighs> I'm very grateful. Yes, well, <clears throat> my job's all right nine times out of ten. Adventures of Philip Marlowe, bringing you Raymond Chandler's most famous character, star Gerald Moore, are produced and directed by Norman MacDonald and are written for radio by Robert Mitchell and Gene Levitt. Featured in the cast were G.B. Hunter, Jay Novello, Olive Deering, Ralph Moody, Tony Barrett, and Charles Russell. The special music is composed and conducted by Richard Arant. Be sure and be with us again next week when Philip Marlowe says... It happened in a place called Bay City where I was unwelcome to a fat fry cook with a secret and a dapper gambler who smoked oversized cigarettes. But where to the long arm of the law, I was poisoned. Poisoned. <laughs>